Good morning, everybody. Oh, it's good to see you. It's good to be up here. It's been a long time since I've been able to share. And uh, for some of you, you think I'm like maybe just visiting. It's kind of fun when I get to meet new people because a lot of you I don't know because Sandy and I uh, travel quite a bit. We work with the Ministry of Awana. And so our life takes us outside of the United States and the 120 countries that we serve quite a bit. And um, I'm really excited to tell you uh, that God's doing a great work in Awana, and there's over four and a half million kids every single week that come somewhere to an Awana club like ours on Monday night, and uh, God continues to disciple kids through that ministry. But it keeps us away from church, so we're kind of good missionaries, but kind of not so good church members sometimes. And so when we meet new people, it's like, oh, when did you start coming? Well, about 10 years ago. Um, but uh, but, but um, we're, we're here, and I'm so excited. It's been a while. Michael, when he asked me to preach, I, I, I wanted to say no. Can I, can I just be honest? This is a, I want you to know this is a really hard message to preach. And I only pray that it might be a hard message to listen to. Okay, not, I, I'm not, I'm not going like to really step. But you know what I mean? Like, like, you, like it's one of those that you've got to kind of grapple with. Because that's what Jacob was doing. He's grappling with God. And, and, I, and I, hope, I hope it does make you kind of want to grapple to really see where it is that God is taking you on some of the journeys that he has you on. That's the intent of this. And when Michael asked me to preach, I said, wait a minute. I, the week you want me to preach is six days after we move into a new house. It's two days after we close on a house we've lived in for 16 years, which will be emotional for us. It is when I'm supposed to be on vacation, moving everything in all the boxes around, of which I was out in the garage on Thursday, and a ladder slid out from under me, and I thought I broke my hand. But it actually wasn't a broken bone. It's, it's dislocated. So, so, uh, so it's okay. You can still feel bad for me if you want, but, but <clears throat> it's, it's kind of like being broken. Okay, anyway. Anyway, I have to go tomorrow, and they're going to tell me exactly what's wrong. But, and all, and, and honest, I want you to know, just, just being completely honest, there's been about three times this week when I was like, okay, Michael, forget it. You're preaching. Because as I was working through it, God just continued to speak into my heart about the wrestling that we all do, that I do. And maybe, maybe you wrestle with God. Can we just be honest? Anybody here? Let's just be honest right up front. Does anyone wrestle with God? Just, you can put your hand up if you do. It's okay. Okay, how about just a little bit you wrestle with God? Okay, all right. I'm not going to ask the ones that are really wrestling with God. Uh, I I hope you're listening. We all want to do something or be something or say something, and sometimes we have to bite our tongue, right? Because God wants us to do something else. Or you have to surrender your time. Or you have to admit your faults. I think that can be a hard one for us sometimes. In actuality, I think we all do this far more often than we think and admit, and we want to grapple with our plan and our dreams, and for me, it's kind of our strategy. You know, I had this week all planned out, and it didn't include being up here this morning. It takes me a lot of time to prepare, and I knew what it would take me. I knew the hours that I would need to put in, and frankly, it wasn't in my plan, but it was in God's plan. And I'm now, right now, I'm really glad. But I have to admit, I wrestled along the way. And, you know, sometimes it's things like that where we're just grappling with our own plans and strategies. And God is telling us, rely on him, rest in him, 
and trust in him. Amen? Well, I remember back um, to a time when, uh, back in 1994, for a lot of you that don't know us, um, my prior life to Awana, which we've been with Awana now almost 25 years, but prior to that, I was uh, uh, an engineer with IBM, and I worked for IBM for 16 years. And in 1994, like one of those really big directional wrestlings with God happened in our lives. Sandy and I were living in Tampa, Florida. Uh, that's home. That's still, that's still a home to us, although uh, we've lived here 16 years now, so we consider Chicago home. And, and I want you to know that uh, God wanted me to leave IBM. And I was like, yeah, oh, I'm going to do that. When I'm 53, I'm going to retire. That was six years ago, by the way. And I, retirement, I can't even see it. Uh, but I'm going to retire, and then I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, God. And this began a wrestling, a, a wrestling match that I'll never forget. And we had six kids, and, and I loved what God was doing in our lives. We were in our local church. We were, we were doing the things that, that we knew that we were supposed to be engaged in. And God said, nope, I, I, want, I want you to change. In fact, I want you to become a faith-supported missionary. And I want you to go out and raise your support. And I'm going to provide your needs. Because frankly, you're not remembering this, Brian, but I'm providing your needs at IBM. And I'll provide your needs at Awana. It's not any different to me. It's only different to you. Okay, I wrestled with that for a while. In fact, it took about a whole year. And then I finally put that application in, and then I began to follow through on that. And I will tell you that we have lived uh, 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 the story that was God's story for us. And I learned way back then that I needed to quit writing my own story and let God write my story, because God was going to do a much better job than I could. And I, I think that's what Jacob was struggling with. He was really struggling. By the way, I want you to know, five years later, I was sitting in a church in Rockford, Illinois, and God said, okay, now you've become an Awana missionary. You're serving in, in Florida. I want you to go to Eastern Europe and get the ministry going in Eastern Europe. And then that's when I really dug my heels in. And I, and I, was, I was like really angry with God that time. And I was like, are you kidding me? I just, I just, I just made these changes... And now you're asking me to move to Eastern Europe. And uh, for three years, we moved out to Eastern Europe. We lived in Budapest, Hungary, which is sort of really Central Europe, for those of you that are good geographic people. Um, But we served all of Eastern Europe and Russia. And today, there are literally tens of thousands of kids being reached in Eastern Europe and Russia, across that part of the world. And we are privileged that we got to be a small part of that and seeing what God's doing there. And, but I, I just wanted to explain a couple of big wrestling things. Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're not so big, right? But we wrestle. And this is where we find Jacob. So I'm going to go into fast gear here because I want, to get, I want to get to a couple of parts that I think are important and there's a lot of reading. So I want to give you a little bit of background as we, as we go to this uh, seventh um, part of the message series on Jacob Uh, We find Jacob is running for his life, okay? We're in chapter 32. I'm just going to summarize real quick up to verses 22. Michael's actually going to come back next week and cover some more of this as he talks about reconciliation between Esau and Jacob. And I promised him that I would try to stay away from that. So if I start going there, one of you guys just raise your hand. 
and say, Brian, go away from that. Michael's going to talk about that next week. But Jacob is running for his life. His uncle Laban has had it with Jacob. Laban's kids have accused Jacob of theft and deceit. So Jacob flees. He doesn't even tell his uncle, doesn't tell anybody. He just takes off with his family. You know, he's continued to be blessed, by the way. He had nothing when he went. (coughs) Fourteen years later, he's got two wives. Well, he's actually got multiple wives because he's got two handmaidens. He's got two wives. He's got lots of kids. And, um, and he has got a tremendous number of animals. The only thing he doesn't have is land. And so he decides that he's done there. Um, he sort of burned bridges there. So, so, so he takes off, doesn't even tell. Uncle Laban catches up with him. And Uncle Laban is really unhappy with him. Um, in fact, in fact he, he's a, he has some fear that Uncle Laban would just like to kill him. So Uncle Laban instead draws this line in the sand. And it literally probably was sand, by the way. Um, so so he, he draws this line in the sand. They're up somewhere in modern-day Turkey um, is probably where they were living. <clears throat> and he draws this line in the sand. And he says, you don't come back over this line. If I find you here, I will kill you. So that's kind of where Jacob is at. <clears throat> and he says, uh, <clears throat> Uncle Javen, I wish you wouldn't be so mad at me. Um, but Jacob kind of deserves it, doesn't he? I mean, we've been studying about Jacob. Uh, Jacob kind of makes some, like I would say to my kids, they're all grown now, um, you can make good choices or you can make bad choices. Which ones are you going to make? You're going to make a choice. And, and Jacob has made some pretty bad choices. So the challenge for Jacob here is that in order to run from Uncle Laban, he has to run toward somebody else. Who do you think that is? It's his brother Esau. That's right. He's got to run toward Esau. Well, what, what, where did he leave things with Esau? Not good, right? Esau had threatened to kill him 20 years earlier. It's been 20 years since he's been back to see his family. Esau has amassed this great army over all these years. And uh, so Jacob in his, I don't know what you even call it, uh, but he's, he, he, he sends some gifts. Um, I don't want to use any words that are relationally good because I don't think he was, had a good motive in his mind. Um, but he, he decides to send some gifts and a messenger to say that he's coming back home. And he says, Jacob, your brother, uh, the messengers come back to him and say, Jacob, your brother is coming with 400 armed soldiers to meet you. Now, why do you think Esau would come with 400 soldiers to meet someone who ripped him off so badly that he vowed to kill him? I mean, he really doesn't know, but I, I can only imagine so Jacob, at this point in time, is just petrified. He's, he's petrified. He doesn't know what to do. He's really, he begins to strategize his options. What can I do to do the right thing? Or is it, what can I do to save my life? It's really save his life. What can I do? You know, how can I do? So, so he, he can't go back. He has to go forward. Death lies in front of him. The line in the sand lies behind him. He's really at that place where he has nowhere to go. He's at the end of his rope. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but can you think of a time where you were at your end of your rope? Where it was just like, I got nowhere else to go. I'm, I, I'm just, I, I don't have any more thought. And, and it kind of, you don't realize at the time, but it's kind of I, 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 I. And you reach that end point where it's like, okay, someone else is going to have to do something here. Because I can't do it. In verse 7 
of chapter 32 of Genesis, it says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Notice the emotion here. Notice, notice the complete desperation um, you know, notice that, that he decides to strategize. And, you know, I think sometimes that's what we do, too. We try to think about, how am I going to solve this problem? We're, we, there's a problem-solving nature that we have. When we get into that place where we're in the corner, how are we going to come out of it? What are we going to do? And um, <clears throat> sometimes we strategize. And that's exactly what Jacob does. And he divides his camp and people into two camps. Now, I'm not going to take a long time here because there's... I'm telling you, I have 12 pages of notes, so if you hear me run fast, it's because I want to get to the end. So, so he, he, says, he, says, uh, uh, he says, I'm going to divide it into two camps. I just want to say this, family dysfunction. Okay, now I don't know, we're not going to talk about this, but where do you think he put Leah? Remember, Leah's the one he didn't really care about, but he had, to do, he had to marry her and live seven more years of work for his uncle in order to get the one he really wanted, right? And so what do you, which camp do you think he put Leah in? The, uh, well, maybe this is the camp that'll get attacked? Anyway, we're not going to talk about that. But it is kind of interesting. He breaks him into the A team and the B team. Now, that's dysfunction. Now, does anyone have family? No, never mind. We're not going to ask you if you have family dysfunction. Every family has family dysfunction. Every family has a brother or a sister, that, and you fill in the blank. Everybody has, you know, this issue or that, or we fight a lot, or, I mean, every family's got dysfunction. And if you think your family is perfect, come see me afterwards, because I don't believe it. I, I just don't believe it, but, but maybe it's true, and if it is, I, I, I just want to hear your blessings of stories, because it seems like every family has dysfunction, and Jacob's was not, Jacob was creating a lot of dysfunction. Esau wouldn't be able to take out both camps, so he puts his whole family in the front and marches forward. Oh, I just, I just can't even, there, there's just a great... A lot of self-protecting dysfunctionality going on. So this is where he is. He says in verse 11, Please deliver me from the hands of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. I'm glad he at least mentions that, although he didn't seem to be as fearful of that as he was for his own life because he sent them ahead anyway. And then he says this, But you said, I will surely do you, you good and make you offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for the multitude. Isn't that interesting? So here's another thing we do. Jacob wanted to remind God of the promise that he had. Jacob, Jacob was kind of down to the very end. He was at the end of his rope. He was in the corner. He didn't want to do. The only thing he naturally knew what to do was fight. And by the way, he's going to do that, isn't he? He's still going to fight. But he was kind of like, okay, well, I know God has this promise for me. And I've been promised all these things. And I've been promised this blessing. And I really want this blessing. And why can't I have this blessing? And let me remind you, God, as though God needs to be reminded, that you promised me this. Do we ever do that? I'll just say I do. When all is removed, when all that he had was gone, he prays, and he prays that God would hold true to his word. I think we've, always been, we've all been there. Jacob, his life represented a lifetime of toxic relational engagement, okay? Now, I, I think Jacob is sort of on this, like, he's way over here on the, you know, like the, the poster child picture of toxic relationship engagement, Okay? 
And then some of us are here, and then some of us are here, and some of us are here. We're kind of all along this timeline, right? And there's different reasons we grapple with God. I, I remember three and a half years ago, I had a heart attack. Well, of course I remember that. Why would I forget that? Uh, and I have the scar to prove it because I had to have open heart surgery. Okay, I'm only 59 now. I was 55 at the time. And, you know, I, I, it was a single bypass. Uh, the doctor said, you don't, you, you, you don't have any history in your family. And I don't know why this, this little uh, vessel in your blood stream clogged. It happened to be my LAD, which is the one that creates the Widowmaker. It 100% clogged on a Thursday. And I was one of those 10% of people that my body had created a collateral. So, so uh, 10% of the people who have a Widowmaker live because their body creates a, a collateral vein to get blood flowing to the heart. The other 90% die. Okay? Now, I wasn't over here wrestling with God around total toxic dysfunction in my life. But can I tell you where I was? I, I was over here thinking, okay, what we're doing is good. Um, I'm getting to help lead a ministry that God is, is doing a great work in discipleship. And I want you to hear me say this. I was getting so caught up in the work that I was doing that I was failing to recognize that God just wanted to be with me more. And I, and I think all of us can relate to this timeline where we say, God was trying to get my attention and I wasn't listening because I was doing something good for him or because I was doing what I thought he wanted me to do or because I was doing what I believe was right for my family. All good things, by the way. All good things. And God's not against any of those things. But God wants us. And I believe with all my heart that three and a half years ago, he absolutely overnight, I didn't even get to talk to my staff. He pulled me out of this ministry called Awana, and for almost 90 days, I was completely out of the picture. And I, and I got home from my surgery, and I literally could walk around the kitchen to the living room and back to, the, back to my seat in the living room, and that's all I could do. I felt like I was 90 years old. If you're 90 years old in here, you probably feel better than I did. I just thought what I might feel like at 90 years old. It was not good, but I want you to hear that. I, I don't think I was over here but, you know, we don't have to be over there to struggle with God in ways. And, you know, you know I'm going to tell you this a little later. I want to say it right now. Sometimes when we struggle with God, the wounds stay with us. I'll probably run out of time later, so I won't bring it. Did you hear that last part of verse 32 where he talks about the sinew? You know, God, in his faithfulness, injured Jacob. And, he, and he, how many of you ever had a, 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 a um, sciatic nerve issue? Anybody have, raise your hand if you had a sciatic nerve. Look at how many of us. I, I want, can I tell you something? I, it sounds like I'm falling apart. I'm having one right now. <laughs> really, really, I'm about to turn 60. I feel like my whole body's falling apart. But really, I've been in PT for like three weeks because of this. Sci- and then here I'm going to preach. No wonder I didn't want to preach. And, but if you've ever had that, you know the pain, right? It shoots down your leg, right? Oh, it's terrible. It'll, it'll, like, it'll just make you want to buckle. Okay, God allowed that to happen, and it gave Jacob a wound for the rest of his life. Guess what? Every time I go to the doctor now, they say, oh, I see you have heart disease. Oh, I don't like that. But I have heart disease. I've had open heart surgery. 
I, for the rest of my life, will have heart disease. Can explain it away, can do whatever I want, but three and a half years ago when I had that heart attack because God was really wanting to get my attention, or let me just say that he used that to get my attention. I got a wound from it. And you know what? We will carry wounds. We carry wounds from our wrestling. And, uh, and Jacob did that for sure. Okay. Now, let's, let's, uh, let's get to verse 22. So he says in verse 22, go ahead. If you have your Bibles or your tablet or your phone, um, now, now we're really into the text here. Verse 22, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female slaves, his 11 children. Right? These are, these are all the boys, right? We think Joseph's born at this time. Most, his, his oldest boys are probably 18. Uh, here's how I know that, because Michael and Craig Jarvis told me that. Okay, I just want you to know that. That's how I know that. When we were studying on Tuesday, he said, the oldest were probably 18. Okay, all right, I'm going to say that. And, and they had this really complicated way. I hope you guys listen to this message. They had this complicated way that they were going to do that. Uh, that they came up with that, and so, but, but, but uh, probably Joseph had just been born, okay? So, um, so Jacob is coming down from Turkey, he's crossing the Jabbok, not an easy task to cross this, he sends everybody, he's got Laban's barrier behind him, he cannot buy his way out this time, he's stuck, and uh, behind him is his past, his lies, his deception, his stolen blessing, and the home he left behind. And then in verse 23 and 24, it says, He took them, and he sent them across the stream, and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. It's nighttime. Jacob's all alone. And this Jabbok place is more than just a river for Jacob. It's a place where he's going to wrestle, but it's going to be more important than just a wrestling place. It's a lonely place. It's a dark place. It's a place of struggling Sometimes our alone moments are preordained, by the way. Do you believe that? You know, sometimes when you can't sleep, how many of you ever find you can't sleep at night? We should text each other. Um, you ever find you can't sleep? Uh, you know, and, and maybe it's because you're just wrestling with something that's on your mind, you can't get off your mind. Uh, maybe you just can't clear your mind. Uh, maybe, maybe it's something that you're really worried about. Maybe it could be all kinds of things, right? I, I, I want to tell you that sometimes lonely, sleepless moments are preordained. Now, I don't know about you, but when I can't sleep, I get frustrated. I'm like, I've got to be up in three and a half hours, and I've got to act like I've gotten a good night's sleep. <laughs> Life doesn't stop just because I don't sleep. And so then I get frustrated, and I think, why is it, instead of thinking, Okay, maybe God wants to tell me something. And maybe God's completely capable of giving me the strength and the energy that I need to get through the day. And maybe I should just stop and listen to God. And if I would listen to God, maybe it'd only take 30 minutes and then I could go back to sleep. We don't think like that most of the time, though. But God sometimes gives those preordained moments. And this is where Jacob finds himself. God wants to get us alone and wants to get our attention. And sometimes we don't appreciate him inserting himself in our lives like that. And Jacob cannot sleep. And even as he cannot sleep, I mean, imagine this, how frustrating this must be. He can't sleep. He's all alone. He sent his whole family along the way. Dysfunction. He's done all of this work. And, and now he's all by himself. But he doesn't get to be all by himself. Some stranger shows up. He doesn't even know who he is. 
And, and maybe he taps him on his shoulder. Who knows? Maybe he scared him half to death. Who knows? I mean, just imagine. He's here at the edge of a river. There's no one there. It's this little strip of land. And his uncle's behind him. Esau's in front of him. He's just got this little place. His family's all on the other side. And somebody shows up. I think, I think he, it seems like I just want to be alone. This guy shows up and he wants to fight me. Do you think Jacob at that moment in time was ready to change? I don't know. He was kind of at the end of his rope, but I don't think he was ready to change yet. Because, because what does he do? Does he sit down on a log and tell a look at this guy who, and he say, I don't want to fight? No, he fights. He starts wrestling. He starts wrestling with this guy. He says, regardless... <clears throat> Of every possibility that he's about to lose everything, he's not quite ready to change. And he decides to fight. This is why I put him way over here. Okay? But there are some fighters in this room. There, there are some fighters in this room. And, I, and I, if you're a fighter, I don't want you to put yourself over here on this where you're just wrestling with a life change. Or wrestling with, do I put my kids in Christian school or I keep them in, or whatever that struggle, whatever that decision that you're trying to make. But you're over here. And you just want to fight with God. You know why Jacob wanted to fight with God? Because he wanted to be in control. He wanted control. There, There are some people that I know in my life that have not trusted Christ as Savior because they don't want to give up control. They, they don't want to have faith that Christ alone can save them from their sin and by trusting and placing their faith in Christ for their salvation, they have to give up too much personal control and they want to be in control of their own lives. But I think we do that as believers too sometimes. Some of us just want to be fighters. We want to fight and this is where Jacob finds himself. He's fighting and you know what? You know what the Lord teaches us here? If your loneliness doesn't accomplish repentance... God will take you even lower. So let me talk to the fighters. He's not going to give up. He's going to keep working in your life and in your heart until he gets your attention finally. Till you finally get... You know, you know how sometimes we say they got to hit the bottom? What is that bottom, right? For each one of us, it's different. We see it in, in, in each other's lives. Remember... Jacob is not a bold, fearless person. He is trembling in fear, and he decides, though, to fight for that place. He fights because it's all he knows. Nothing will bring Jacob to repentance. So when a stranger shows up and seems threatening to Jacob, he does what he always does. He continues to fight. And like everyone else, Jacob fights this person to prevail over him. Now, who is this stranger? Um, Hosea 12.4, just write this down. We won't go there right now. But Hosea 12.4 calls this person the angel sent from God. And usually in the context of Scripture, when, the, when it's an angel of God, it usually refers to a pre-incarnate Christ. Okay? Now, there's a lot of discussion around this, so you can go and study this part for yourself and kind of enjoy that. Um, but uh, but I, I'm going to assume that this was a pre-incarnate Christ. That, that, but Jacob doesn't know that yet. 
But he, that's who he's wrestling with. Jacob has come face to face with God in order to come face to face with himself. And there's a big shift here because you know what happens? At some point for this fighter Jacob, he's going to realize that what, what he's struggling with is no longer about himself, Jacob. It's about who God is. It's not about who he is or was. It's about who God is. And so he's, gonna, he's about to really grapple with that. He's wrestling. Now, now, I put this question, and put yourself in Jacob's shoes for a minute. Who do you think he was really wrestling? I think at this point in his life, he could have been wrestling. He's wrestling God. He's wrestling his bad decisions with Esau. How about his uncle Laban? How about Isaac, his father, who he stole the blessing? He, he tricked him, right? How about himself. How about he was wrestling with his past, his future, his identity, his faith? Perhaps the best answer to all those is yes. Because he found himself wrestling with his own life and whether he was going to stay in control of it or whether God was going to be in control of it. Verse 26. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And what did Jacob say? He said, my name is Jacob. Why do you think this is important? Why, I mean, do you think that, that, that uh, in his wrestling with the pre-incarnate Christ that God didn't know what his name was? God knew he was Jacob. Why was it important for Jacob to say his name? We'll go back to the meaning. Jacob is grappler, right? Jacob is deceitful. Jacob is dysfunctional, toxic relationship. Jacob represents all these bad decisions in his life. And Jesus is wrestling with him. By the way, Jesus could have stopped wrestling at any time. I mean, he, he didn't have to wrestle all night with him. But that's how long it took Jacob. And Jacob continued to wrestle. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't show. It, he may have touched his hip way early in the fight. But Jacob still continued to wrestle. I think, I think in verses 26 and 7 is where we have the reason for the battle. You see, Jacob, it wasn't about Jacob wrestling with God. God was wrestling with Jacob to, rep- re- to take him to a point of surrender. That's what God was trying to do in Jacob's life. And I love that word surrender. God wanted Jacob to surrender. You know, typically a wrestling match only lasts about six minutes. I never wrestled, but um, Jacob's wrestling match lasted all night. He had to be completely exhausted. And God lets him wrestle, though he could have stopped it. And when the day broke, so did Jacob. God wanted to get Jacob to a point of repentance, of surrender, of saying, I can't do it my way anymore, I'm going to do it your way. God wrestled with Jacob to show Jacob himself. And when Jacob called out his name, he was calling out all the things that represented his identity. All the things, and he was saying, he was saying to himself, this is who I am. Deceit, theft, selfishness. It, <clears throat> all of the years of his life, a family behind him that wanted to kill him, a family in front of him who vowed to kill him, two, two bickering wives who didn't get along, a family he was about to completely lose. Jacob burned every bridge in his life. And that's what Jacob represented. Jacob was forced to confess 
and completely surrender. He had to say his own name out loud in shame and fear and despair for his life. And when he did, God opened his eyes to see what was really happening. Jacob realized at some point in that night he had grappled with everyone in his life. And as the morning broke, what did he choose not to do? This is how we know. He held on. Why did he hold on? He realized who he was wrestling with. God opened his eyes. He realized this is, this is the failure, the complete failure of my life that I've been involved in. And God wants to do this in my life now. Hmm. I'll just ask the question, what is our name attached to? Where are we in our struggles? By the way, in verse 28 it says, then he, said, uh, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Prevailing doesn't mean that Jacob won. It means that Jacob prevailed. It simply means God finally broke through to Jacob and Jacob became a changed man from this point forward. Jacob had his last grapple and he admitted that he couldn't do it anymore So he said his name, Jacob, and he admitted who he was, and God changed him. He admitted his failures that were attached to his name, and he surrendered to God. So God did what? He gave him a new name. He said God gave him the name Israel, grappled with God, to remind Jacob that he never go back to the old name, that daybreak had come and Jacob is no longer Jacob, the deceiver and the supplanter. As this new day dawned, he would be renamed and reborn. He is Israel, the one who grapples with God and prevails. He does not defeat God. He simply prevails. Now, it's interesting. Isn't it interesting he called him Israel? Um, Sandy and I just got, we, we just got blessed. We just spent two weeks in Israel. And it, it was, if, if that's not on your bucket list, you ought to put that on your bucket list. It, it was absolutely amazing to go and to literally have communion in the, the garden tomb and to do some, just to see where Jesus walked. But I, I, I can only imagine, as I see the struggle of the people of Israel, why God called Jacob Israel. Because look at the people of Israel and how they've struggled. Even continuing to this day, they continue to struggle. They're, they're, they're God's chosen people, they, they, but they struggle. And it's interesting that, uh, that, that God gave Jacob this name, Israel. So <clears throat> God shows up and he doesn't allow Jacob to burn this final bridge. And then in verse 29, he says, Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why? Why is it that you ask my name? And there God blessed Jacob. He blessed him. Jacob never learns the name of who that was. Names are important to us, um, but he never learns who, who the name of the person was that he was wrestling with. We believe it was Christ. But God says to us in Revelations 3.12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. You see, God wants to give us a new name. And that's what he's telling us through this wrestling with Jacob. One of God's greatest gifts to us is that he promises all of his own a new name. 
and with it a new future. So if you find yourself here in this struggle, if you find yourself a fighter, you, you, there, there's, you don't have to just give up and say, okay, well, that's it. God can't use me. God wants to use you. God wants to use us wherever we are in this wrestling that we're doing with God. And he wants to give us a name. He wants to give us a new name and a future that's going to be with him forever. And, um, and, I, and I, 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 want to, I want to tell you this story. Um, I don't know if any of you like golf, but I, I like golf. And there's a story of, of a golfer his name was Payne Stewart. Does anybody remember Payne Stewart? Right? He was a real flamboyant dresser. That's what most people know about. He used to wear knickers when, when it wasn't popular anymore. If you're not a golfer, you're going to say, okay, this is a stupid story. Would you move on? But <clears throat> I really like this story of life change. He was known as an angry golfer. Every, everyone described him with words like proud, cynical, and sarcastic. This is who he was. He had a reputation that preceded him. And then his children started going to a church that had a wana. Okay, maybe this is part of why I like the story. Um, they were influenced for Jesus, and their mom was intrigued. She started going to church, and she accepted Christ. They started praying for their dad. He fought it. He wrestled. He didn't want to trust Christ, but then he did. One day, he went to church, and he trusted Christ as his Savior, and his life changed. Over the next five to six years, everyone on the golf course noticed the difference in Payne Stewart. A few years after accepting Christ, Stewart won the U.S. Open. A statue of him commemorates that incredible um, win. Um, In his final interview, Payne said this, I want everyone to know it's Jesus. It's Jesus that changed my life. I want everyone to know it's Jesus. Four months later, his jet carrying him and some of his friends lost cabin pressure, caused everyone on board to lose consciousness. And then it flew over South Dakota and crashed into an empty field. And everybody on board died. At his funeral, another golfer, Paul Azinger, eulogized his friend saying, Payne's pride, cynicism, and sarcasm were replaced with God's grace when he accepted Jesus. He began to care as much about people as he did about winning. He wrapped up with this. Several people did many things to help Stewart's golf game, but only God had the power to change his heart. At this time, at the end, this changed man's funeral. Azinger continued by saying, if you feel the tug of God's spirit on your heart, don't turn away. And that's what Jacob was doing. So in verse 30, he says, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and my life has been delivered. Jacob was Jacob no more. God has a new name for each one of us. And in verse 31, it says, The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. And then verse 32 is that great sciatic nerve. I won't go back over that one now. And, uh, but it is amazing that 5,000 years later, like the Hebrew, the, the, the children of Israel, any, anyone that, that um, is Jewish, they still won't eat that piece of meat or muscle that's represented by that. So it's amazing. So be careful. If you're really wrestling over here, you might, you might end up being something, someone that influences 5,000 years of people. Okay, that's legacy. You were supposed to laugh at that. So what? <clears throat> so what? I got just enough time for so what? So what? Here's three so what's. This is not so much about who Jacob was. It's about who God is. Amen? God keeps his promises to us no matter what. 
God will fight for us no matter how much we fail. God would rather die for us than break his promise to us. Do you hear me say that? God would rather die for us than break his promise to us. Did he do that? Yeah, he did. He did. He came to this earth in the form of a man. If he has called you to be his own, you have all of the promises in Scripture. They're yours because they're built upon Christ. I'll let you read 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22. You can just mark that down. So number one, not so much about who Jacob was, it's about who God is. Number two, this message is for the fighter. I want to stand over here on this timeline because some of you are fighters in the room. I, I know there's got to be a few. I want to tell you something that you probably already know. God has control anyway. So why don't you give it to him? Because he's in control. It's just where your bottom will be. How far will you go? What, what, what limps will you have in the wrestling that you're doing with God? You can grapple for a place that you think you deserve or desire, or you can let him steer you where he wants you to go. You know, the definition of the believer and the unbeliever, a believer surrenders and finds joy in the fact that God is controlling and guiding. An unbeliever grapples to the end and will fight God through all of eternity. What will it take for you? And lastly... What does God want? You know what God wants? He wants surrender. He wants wants to have us. He wants to have all of us. He wants to draw us to himself. There's incredible peace with God on the other side of surrender. You have a name. You have gifts. You have abilities. You have character traits. They are all a part of you. God doesn't want to take those away from you. He made them in you. It's part of your DNA. It's who you are. You can use all those things for you or for him. But God wants you to surrender. If we'll surrender those gifts and traits and abilities to God to use, then God will use all of you and all of me for his glory. Amen? God wants us to surrender. You know, um, boy, I just stand before you telling you that, man, I I haven't arrived in all this. I feel like I wrestle every day. And, you know, maybe, maybe we can sort of define ourselves on that timeline of the different places we are in the decisions in life we're making, you know. But maybe if we're really honest, maybe we're all more like that wrestling, grappling, trying to take it to the end, Jacob. And uh, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to let God be in control. Let's pray. Father, uh, Thank you for the privilege of just sharing this text with our, our family here at Village. Um, God, it, it is, it's an amazing reality that is true today that in many ways we are so much like Jacob. And um, God, we ask that you would just use this in, in our lives to to help us surrender to you. 
Help us to recognize that you want the best for us in our lives. And God, in, in, in everything that we do, that um, God, we would just be convinced that you are God and we are just, uh, we're just your, your people, that you want to draw us closer to you. Father, just um, as, we, as we prepare for this communion, as uh, Matt comes up to lead us, God, would you just help us to be and live surrendered lives to you? In Jesus' name, amen.